are Locked On Seahawks, your daily Seattle Seahawks podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Greetings, 12. This is Corbin Smith, your host for Locked On Seahawks. Happy Tuesday to all of our listeners. I'm glad to have my co-host in crime, Rob Rang, back in the saddle again. Kind of a hectic Monday yesterday. Had to do an emergency podcast with some breaking news about the Seahawks coaching staff. We now have confirmation that that move has officially taken place courtesy of the Seahawks. So, Rob, you and I are going to have a chance to really dive in on Ken Norton Jr. being dismissed by the Seahawks why they made that decision, and starting to look at some potential replacement options. Today we'll be looking at some coaches that have close connections with head coach Pete Carroll. Going to be a jam-packed episode coming your way. Thanks for making Locked on Seahawks your first listen five days a week. Now for your lead story here on Locked on Seahawks. As I just mentioned a moment ago, it's official. Ken Norton Jr. will not be back with the Seahawks in 2022 Yesterday, the Seattle Times, Bob Condota and Adam Jew did a fantastic job getting the scoop on this story before the Seahawks announced officially, making it clear that Ken Norton Jr. as well as their defensive backs coach were both going to be let go in coming days. And that's exactly what happened today. The Seahawks announcing both coaches were going to be dismissed. I want to spend the bulk of our energy, not that Andre Curtis wasn't important. We'll talk some about the defensive back position, but... I want to spend the bulk of our time looking at the defensive coordinator spot that is now vacant with Ken Norton Jr. no longer being on the coaching staff. He had been an assistant for Pete Carroll dating all the way back to 2004 at USC. He had a small little gap. He was with the Raiders. But finally, that loyalty that Pete Carroll has had for Ken Norton Jr., his his patience just wore thin. And so I want to talk about why this decision was made, because I I think you and I both would have said yesterday that we were a little bit surprised that this move happened the way that it did, because the Seahawks defense was playing really good football for the last 60 to 70 percent of the season. But they did get off to a rough start. And this is a team that has been consistently struggling to get off to a good start on defense since Norton became the coordinator in 2018. Yeah, and that's the thing, Corbin, is I think that there are a million different, very impressive statistics that one can just point out and say, this is why Ken Norton Jr. was fired as the Seattle Seahawks defensive coordinator. And again, I think that, uh, as you just mentioned, the loyalty that Pete Carroll has shown to his former coaches, uh, you know, including Ken Norton Jr., um, you know, it, it speaks for itself. But at the same time, the, the the proof is in the pudding. I mean, the, the fact that Seattle, uh, you know, began each of the past two seasons, um, you know, on a, just a a horrific trend defensively is the to me is the single biggest reason why that that Ken Norton Jr. is no longer employed by the Seattle Seahawks and and why the team is going to be looking elsewhere. I mean, you know, those of you who are watching on YouTube right now, um, you can kind of see the statistics that Corbin just put up there. I mean, just really God awful numbers in so many different ways. Yes, the Seahawks were very impressive despite the yardage numbers, despite the third down, uh, you know, conversion numbers, all those things the Seahawks were very successful in terms of points allowed per game 
And so if I was the agent or somebody arguing for Ken Norton Jr. and said, hey, don't change anything. The Seahawks defense got better down the stretch. And isn't that the point to be able to play good football in December and January and perhaps in February? Then just look at that very first uh, you know, graphic there, points per game. Seattle finishing 11th this year, despite how bad their defense was most of the season. But at the same time, I think that we all also remember how bad Seattle started off the, the, the season defensively this year, how bad Seattle started off the season last year defensively. And then, oh, by the way, when Seattle did have their big turnaround this year, they did so without Jamal Adams. And that, to me, is going to be one of the real conversations we have to have when we're breaking down some possibilities all week long about who Seattle might be bringing in as, as the replacement for Ken Norton Jr. as the defensive coordinator for the Seahawks is how are they going to be able to make number 33 more of a weapon rather than a liability in Seattle's defensive backfield? A special thanks to True Media for this awesome data, really digging deep in the four years that Ken Norton Jr. was the defensive coordinator for the Seahawks. Again, if you're not watching the YouTube version of this, I'm going to be speaking out some of these stats. We'll be posting this chart online as well for those that are interested but you look at the numbers as you mentioned yes on the bright side the Seahawks in three of the four years that Ken Norton Jr. was calling plays defensively they finished better than 15th in points per game allowed they only had one year that they were worse than that and it was 22nd overall in 2019 the other three years they were in the middle of the pack a respectable 11th twice and one other time they were 15th and so that, like you said, that would be what Ken Norton's agent would be arguing to teams that maybe you're looking at him as a potential coaching candidate. Well, yeah, look, they didn't give up a ton of points. They were in the upper half of the league. That's very true. But I think there were a number of trends here that Pete Carroll just eventually reached a point where I can't take this anymore. We, we went 7-10 and 10 this season. We need to make a change. And there's a few things that jump out to me. First, when you look at the third down efficiency issues, they had two different years where they were 16th and 27th overall in third down efficiency, 27th in 2020, one of the worst in the league. This year they improved to 14th, but that's still not great by any means. And then you consider the fact that their three and out percentage was 19th in the NFL this year. They were 22nd in 2019. They were 31st in 2018. So those are two trends that are not good to have consistently going against you and then you add in the fact that they've had two years where they have been 30th or worse in pressure percentage they've had two years where they were 22nd and 29th in sacks you just can't have that kind of ineptitude rushing the passer that strained the secondary it strained the linebackers in coverage and I think that's the biggest reason why they were 26th 22nd and 28th in total yardage allowed in the last three seasons and really what to me was what broke the Campbell's back in regard to Ken Norton Jr.'s job status. This is a team his first three years as coordinator was a top 10 team creating turnovers on defense. They plummeted to 25th this year and they did not have an interception by anyone not named Quandre Diggs until week 17. You know that that had to just anger and infuriate Pete Carroll who loves creating turnovers that is one of the pinnacles of his defense they have consistently been able to create turnovers that did not happen this year you had no pass rush for most of the season you weren't creating turnovers you were letting teams go up and down the field at ease 
the one thing that was really working for you, you were fourth in red zone efficiency. If they were five or six pegs lower than that, this defense probably is 20th to 25th in, in scoring defense. There was not that wide of a margin there, uh, wide of a gap between being 11th place and being 25th. And so that is not something that I think from year to year is sustainable. You can't have a defense that is struggling on third down, can't get off the field, is giving up all these big chunk plays, and can't pressure the quarterback consistently. That is too many flaws that are getting checked off. And whether fair or not, it's a lot of it could be personnel-based, and you can't necessarily blame Ken Dorton Jr. for that. That's not his job. Uh, but at the end of the day, the buck stops with the defensive coordinator, and there's just too many numbers that are in the red, that are in the bottom half for defense. And four years, that's plenty of time to try to improve those numbers. And it just didn't happen. He did not improve this defense enough to keep his job. Yeah, and that's the thing is that if you wanted to criticize Pete Carroll as head coach, you want to criticize John Schneider as obviously general manager and, and the, the man in charge of um, you know Seattle's draft and the uh, and, and all the different players that they bring in through free agency. Sure, you, you can do those things, but at the same time, I just didn't see enough development from the players that Seattle did bring in. We talked about this before. You re-signed Puna Ford. I didn't see much development from Puna Ford. Um, you know, I mean, I, I didn't, I saw a little bit of a lessening of the impact plays from say Bobby Wagner, who was one of the guys that I think at the linebacker position, you kind of, you know, just think of when you think of Ken Norton Jr., of course, as a, the former all pro uh, linebacker that he was in the NFL before that he became Seattle's defensive coordinator. To me, that is one of the biggest concerns and again, you can make all kinds of arguments. I mean, when you look at the fact that that Seattle had the, just the roster turnover that they had that they had along the defensive line, especially at defensive end, at cornerback, obviously huge concerns there. And the fact that Seattle's defense played reasonably well as the season went on, the fact that they played in clearly the best division in football. I think the playoffs are just proving that here. Um, you can all make those arguments about why that this was a little bit of a roll of the dice for, for Seattle to, uh, you know, to, to move on past Ken Norton Jr. But at the same time, the numbers prove themselves out here. Um, if you have a franchise quarterback, as I think most of us believe that the Seahawks clearly do in Russell Wilson, and maybe not a, a franchise quarterback who is on the downside of his career, but is still very much in the prime of his career, just happened to have an injury this past season, then this defense has to be better. This is absolutely the MO of your defensive-minded head coach and Pete Carroll. The fact that Seattle's defense did improve each of the last two seasons, but only until the second half of the last two seasons, that suggests to me at least that maybe the head coach, Pete Carroll, suddenly got a little bit more involved and helped shape their defense at that point. And that, to me, is why that this move was one that, that makes an awful lot of sense. It is a roll of the dice. And I think that the, the, the Pete Carroll and John Schneider are putting their necks out there that much more in doing so. But at the same time, give Jody Allen, uh, you know, as the owner, a little bit of credit too, because she is saying, hey, I want there to be changes. I think that she forced Pete Carroll's hand here. I think that he made the move that was understandable at this point. Now it's going to be fascinating to see who Seattle brings in as a replacement. Yep, it's going to be a critical hire. There's no doubt about it. They need to hit on this because, as you said, it is a roll of the dice because there were some positives with having Ken Norton there, and he did have a rapport with the players. If the hire that you make doesn't work out, 
we're probably going to be having a discussion this time next year about Pete Carroll and maybe John Schneider uh, being dismissed by the Seahawks. That's how big this hire is. They need to get it right, which is why we're going to spend the next three days looking at a number of different candidates who could potentially replace Ken Norton Jr. as the Seahawks defensive coordinator. We're going to look at some coaches that are very close to Pete Carroll who have had experience in Seattle or coaching under Carroll in other places. We're going to look at that later in the show. Bet Online would like to wish you a happy new betting year as we continue our march to the playoffs and beyond. Bet Online remains the number one spot for all the best sports wagering action for 2022. New year with a new updated desktop and mobile website to sign up today and receive your 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit. Just use a promo code locked on to get started from football, basketball, hockey, boxing, and UFC right to your favorite Vegas casino games. Don't wait to take advantage of all the amazing offers available for 2022. Bet online is the fastest and easiest way to wager on all your favorite sports. Bet online where the game starts. You're listening to the Locked On Seahawks podcast, Tuesday edition. I'm your host, Corbin Smith, joined as always by Rob Rang. Thanks for making Locked On Seahawks your first listen five days a week. Got a big announcement here on the Locked On Podcast Network. The Peacock and Williamson NFL show is going on the road to L.A. for Super Bowl week. Follow the Peacock and Williamson NFL show today to get the most comprehensive coverage of the big game. It's free and available on all platforms. Let's continue our postseason awards. To this point, we've done MVP and Offensive and Defensive Player of the Year. We added a new award. Last year, we didn't actually take any time to really dive into special teams, but considering that was really the best side of the ball for the Seahawks for the most part in 2021, let's talk Special Teams Player of the Year. And I think there are several worthy candidates here starting with Michael Dixon, still one of the best punters in the NFL. And before we even get into stats, Rob, maybe the play of the year for the Seahawks against the Rams when Michael Dixon had a punt blocked, had the wherewithal to go pick up the football, spread it out to his left. And I think everybody in the press box, everybody in the crowd, everybody watching on TV, as soon as he started to look like he was going to kick it again, I think all of us collectively were going either what the hell or is that legal? And it is legal, apparently. He was behind the line of scrimmage, so he booted it, and it bounced almost all the way down to the goal line. It ended up being a phenomenal punt. That double punt really illustrates the magician that Michael Dixon is a punter, and he led all punters in punts inside the 20-yard line this year. He was second in percentage of his punts, so it was not just the fact that he punted a lot for the Seahawks. He was extremely efficient getting the ball inside the 20-yard line on punts. Another phenomenal season, and I think he got snubbed both in the Pro Bowl and in All-Pro voting. He got a few votes in All-Pro voting, but find two punters that are better than him in the league right now, and I'll show you Pinocchio. <laughs> yeah, and, and th- that's the thing is that you know th- those Australians in, in, in Australian rules football or off you know obviously well known or well known in this country is rugby and and just the the fact that that that's how you got to play ball you know in that sport and, and so I, I just thought that that was an incredible play just showed that showed his um, you know his instincts 
uh, his athletic ability, just his talent, the fact that he was able to deaden the football, um, you know, as close to the the uh, the end zone as he did in that particular play. Um, and we've seen that since Seattle made him a a very controversial pick. If you think back on it, um, you know, the, the Seattle made him, uh, you know, coming out of Texas years ago. Um, and, but he has always shown this incredible ability. To, to kick the ball almost like a knuckleballer throws a, a baseball, um, you know, and obviously a very different sport. I mean, or, or a guy who can hit a pitching wedge and draw the ball back off of the green. I mean, what Mike Dixon has been able to demonstrate over his career is an ability to hit a football, obviously an oblong-shaped ball, off of his foot and be able to make it move left, move right, move forward, move back. And, you know, we, we see NFL punters do this all the time. We even see some college football punters do this sometimes. We don't see them do it with the consistency that Michael Dixon has been able to do since Seattle made him that selection a couple of years ago. And so that, that's one of the things, Corbin, It's like sometimes we get up here and we, we criticize the, the Seattle's draft picks. There's not many teams out there that use day three picks and find all pros. And I say all pro because that is exactly, as you mentioned, that Michael Dixon should have been this season. If there were more eyes voting for all pro, uh, you know, all pro players that were watching the Seahawks when they had to punt this year, instead of just watching the quarterback, or instead of just watching the lack of defense, as we talked about in our first segment here, if they were truly watching Michael Dixon, then he would be considered all pro because that's the caliber of player that he has been ever since Seattle drafted him in fifth round out of Texas years ago. And looking at a couple other players that I think are worthy to discuss for this award, the Seahawks have been really good on special teams the last two years under Larry Izzo, and it's not just about punting or kicking the football. You also have the heroics on your kick and punt coverage teams. And I think we got to start here with Travis Homer when we're mentioning players that are kind of your special team skills guys. You don't see very many. In fact, I can't remember another instance where an NFL player ran a fake punt and got a 73-yard touchdown. But that is what Travis Homer did on the first drive against the 49ers in Week 13. This offense had been sputtering for weeks since Russell Wilson came back from his finger injury. They had another three and out there. And Travis Homer was given the green light. He liked the look that he had from San Francisco's defense and decided, I'm going to call my own number and go 73 yards for the score. That same game, he recovered a fumble on kick coverage as well, made a number of tackles. He returned an onside kick for a touchdown to put a dagger in the Jaguars in week eight as well. Travis Homer made some superstar highlights on special teams this year. And so for that reason, he absolutely deserves consideration for special teams player of the year. When you, when you score two touchdowns off special teams plays, uh, you'd usually think that clinches the award for you. Well, and, and maybe it should. As I just kind of, you know, touted Michael Dixon a moment ago, Travis Homer, as you just mentioned, Corbett, I mean, the, the play against the 49ers, who, by the way, the Seahawks, you know, uh, beat both times, uh, you know, this year, and they're now moving on to divisional playoff round um, in the playoffs. So obviously that is big. Um, and then also beat the Jacksonville Jaguars, as you mentioned, and his being able to pull off that touchdown as well, led the Seahawks in 17 tackles this year. Almost all of them were on the special teams side of the football as well. You know, I mean, that 17 tackles, I mean, that's a lot on special teams 
over the course of a season. So, yeah, again, as much as I want to tout Michael Dixon, I, I think that he has to be your special teams player of the year just because of the fact that, again, I think that he's an all-pro player. But in terms of guys who really change the game for you, you know, I mean, we expect punters to be pretty good at their job. There's only 32 of them that, that play in all of the NFL, whereas special teams players overall, obviously there is an innumerable number of those guys who, who play throughout the league. But I don't know. I mean, when I think about the the, the game changing, the shocking, the you know the the plays that the Travis Homer made, I as I think I would be arguing right now that this should be a, a co special teams player of the year because I don't know how you don't acknowledge the impact that Travis Homer had for the Seahawks this season. And I don't know how you don't acknowledge Nick Belor because that's the other name we've got to throw in here because he was third in the NFL in special teams tackles, had fifteen of them this year. He forced the fumble in that 49ers game that Travis Homer recovered on kick coverage. And, oh, by the way, Travis Homer doesn't score on that fake punt without a key block downfield by, you guessed it, Nick Bloor. He was a Pro Bowler the year before. Didn't make the Pro Bowl this year, but I think he had a better season this year than what he did in 2020. And he got a vote for the All-Pro team, which he had never done before so he had a fantastic season. And just the fact that the hits that he makes, he doesn't get cheated. I mean, he blows dudes up. If he has you in his sights, he's going to knock you out. And he, he's going to lay the wood in open field. And it's just a lot of fun. The hit that he made in the Titans game was one of my favorite plays all year. You don't often hear, I mean, last year with no fans, you could hear the crunch of pads up in the press box because there were no fans in the stands. You don't usually hear that with fans out there with how loud it is at Lumen, you could hear the crunch when Nick Bloor decked the kick returner in the first half of that game. It was one of the hardest hits that I have seen in person at the stadium, at least when I've been covering the team. And so he deserves recognition as well. At the end of the day, for me, I'm going to go with Nick Bloor because I love the hard hitting. I love the mentality that he brings to the game. If I have to pick one of these three, it's extremely difficult because I feel like they all deserve it, but I don't want to do a three-way. All of them get special teams player of the year. I'm not a big fan of co-player of the year stuff anyway, so I'm going to go with Nick Ballore as my pick just because he sets the tone for everyone on special teams. And You can make the argument that he's a tone setter for this entire football team. He is extremely valuable in the locker room and one of the best special teams players in the entire league. Well, I, I wish I could argue with you. I mean, that, that's the nature of our business, of course, Cobra. I, I got anger. I got to say, no, you're wrong, but you're not wrong. I mean, hey, you know, say this. I mean, Bobby Wagner just broke his own career record for single season tackles. And of course, Jordan Brooks did the same thing. But at the same time, can you remember very many hits that he applied this year? Jordan Brooks as well, any Seahawk defender as well, that were more impactful, more physical, more got you up and wanted you to scream at the television or if you were there in person as you were, just like, oh my goodness, that is a decleater. That's a Hit snot stick. knocker. Exactly. I mean, that was good physical football that jacks up your teammates than what Nick Ballore provided for the Seahawks this season. I mean, he was absolutely fantastic. At the same time, as I just mentioned before, I, I really think that Michael Dixon is absolutely an all-pro punter. I think that he has to be part of it. And, and I, I'm right there with the whole idea of, of doing some co-team you know, awards here. To me, 
with a, a tip of the cap to Nick Ballore, I think that he was absolutely fantastic this season. To me, he has been every bit of what you want a special teams player to be. I love the versatility he's shown on the defensive side of the ball as well as on offensive and, and football and fullback as well. But to me, if I had to you know, choose an award uh, you know, for special teams player of the year, I have to go co special teams player of the year. And I am going Michael Dixon and Travis Homer, basically kind of being the ultimate cop out where we're highlighting all three of our, our primary special teams players this season. Yeah, that was maybe the hardest one for me to pick on the entire list that we had for awards, because all three of these guys were just fantastic this year playing for Larry Izzo on special teams. We're going to be switching back to the defensive side of the football coming up here in our third segment, going back to Ken Norton Jr.'s now vacant defensive coordinator post over the next three days we're going to be breaking down some candidates who might be the replacement for Ken Norton Jr. and we're going to be looking at those closest to Pete Carroll today the fellowship of Pete Carroll we return coming up here in the third quarter people think unusual circumstances mean complicated taxes but for TurboTax live experts that's what makes things interesting maybe you inherited a condo and are renting it out or maybe you're getting paid in crypto and aren't sure how it's taxed for TurboTax Live experts, an interesting life can mean an even greater refund. Luckily, TurboTax Live can match you with the right expert who has the experience in your situation and can answer all of your tax questions right from your phone or computer. They can even take care of the whole filing process for you, whether you launched your own startup or working multiple jobs and juggling multiple incomes. An experienced TurboTax Live expert can help you during the entire filing process or do your taxes for you from start to finish to get you the tax deductions you deserve. Visit TurboTax.com to learn more. You do your thing. They've got your taxes. Intuit TurboTax Live. You're listening to the Locked on Seahawks podcast, Tuesday edition. I'm your host, Corbin Smith, joined as always by Rob Rang. Thanks for making Locked on Seahawks your first listen five days a week. The Seahawks have a vacancy at defensive coordinator. We've talked about it the last couple of shows. Ken Norton Jr. not returning. Andre Curtis, their defensive back and pass game coordinator, also not going to be returning. So two openings on defense. We'll have time to talk about who replaces Curtis down the line. But finding the defensive coordinator is going to be critical. And if there's been a trend with Pete Carroll as the head coach, he likes to have coordinators that have worked under him in the past. The one exception was his first defensive coordinator that he had here in Seattle. That was Gus Bradley. And he got a raving review about Gus Bradley from Monty Kiffin, who Carroll had a very good relationship with and trusted him. So he decided to keep him on his staff. Bradley was on Jim Mora's staff in 2009. Bradley was here through the 2012 season, then took the head coaching job with Jaguars. So that ended up working out for the Seahawks just fine. But you look at the coordinator since Dan Quinn. He was in Seattle. He went to Florida briefly, then came back to Seattle as the defensive coordinator. So Pete Carroll knew him well. Chris Richard was already on the staff when he was elevated to replace Quinn when he took the Falcons head coaching job. And then most recently, Ken Norton Jr. replacing Chris Richard. He was the linebacker coach for the Seahawks from 2010 to 2015. And he coached for Carroll at USC as well. So there's been a trend If that trend continues, you've got to believe that Ken Norton Jr.'s replacement is going to be somebody already on the staff or somebody that has been on Seattle staff or at least worked for Pete Carroll at some point. So, Rob, we're going to break down four candidates who we believe fit the bill. One guy that we will not have on this list is Dan Quinn himself because 
I know a bunch of you, based on response on social media, you've been calling for the Seahawks to hire Dan Quinn as the defensive coordinator, but that is not going to happen. He's interviewing for multiple head coaching jobs, had a great year as the Cowboys defensive coordinator. He's either going to stay in that position or he's going to be a head coach again somewhere else. Why would he make a lateral move? So we've thrown him out, but we have four guys on our The Fellowship of Pete Carroll list, coaches that have a very strong, long-lasting relationship with Pete Carroll who could replace Ken Norton Jr. What's one name that jumps to mind immediately for you, Rob? Well, I think you got to stay in-house, as you just said, Corbin. I mean, you know, Pete Carroll has shown incredible loyalty to his guys in the past. And, you know, the only guy who was listed as, as an assistant head coach that is currently on Seattle staff at this point is the for, is the current defensive line coach, Clint Hurt, who has already uh, been reported as possibly being somebody who is going to be, uh, you know, interviewing for this job. And I think that makes a lot of sense. Uh, you know, Clint Hurt is one of those guys who there's a lot of buzz around the league as far as not only being a guy who can be X's and O's, but as a guy who has the heart, as a guy who is able to, uh, you know, to, to connect with his players and be able to get the absolute best out of him. And, and one could argue, I think successfully, that that's exactly what Ken Norton Jr. provide as well. That might be exactly what Chris Richard provide as well. Maybe Marco Emanuel, maybe Deshaun Shedd, another former uh, Seahawks, uh, you know, not only player, but coach as well. That And that is the point, is that, that's one of the things that Pete Carroll has shown kind of a preference for is guys who were former players who did so at a successful level. And then because they actually can, can relate to the players themselves, then that they might be successful coaches as well. But to me, if you were, if you asked me to focus in on one player then I would just focus in on the incumbent, the guy who's already in house, who already knows exactly how you run these things, who understands the struggles that Seattle has seen over the last couple of seasons and, perhaps might be able to bring them up a year. And just like, as I talked about before with uh, Ken Norton Jr., if I was his agent, what I would be arguing or why he should not have been fired. If I would, if I was Clint Hurts agent, I would say, Hey, look at what the Seahawks did along the defensive line this year. You had a guy who was essentially in his rookie season in Daryl Taylor, and he was their most consistent pass rusher, at least through the first three quarters of the season. And then once you gave their guy, Carlos Dunlap, an opportunity, then he became the most consistent pass rusher. I think that Clint Hurt deserves some of the credit for that. That's why I would not be surprised at all if the Seahawks just stick with Clint Hurt and he winds up being your defensive coordinator. Yeah, from what I've been told, I mentioned this on yesterday's episode. To me, he is the front runner right now for them to just stay in house and elevate him to that position. And you look at the work that he has done with defensive tackles. You have two undrafted players in Puna Ford and Brian Monet, who both have starter qualities, Puna Ford more so. But Brian Monet has shown flashes of being a starter caliber player. Al Woods comes back after a year away from the game, sitting out and has the best year of his career. And he has talked about how much he loves playing for Clint Hurt. He has a strong rapport with the players. He's an outstanding position coach. The thing working against him, he doesn't have any experience at any level as a defensive coordinator. But he's been around the block enough that I would believe if there's a guy that can make that adjustment fairly quickly, he's already been on this coaching staff for a long time. He's been an assistant head coach. He understands that process. I think that he could do it. And so... I know a lot of fans are skeptical about an in-house move, but Clint Hurd's a very good football coach, and they don't want to lose him 
If he's not going to get elevated, I could see him going to his alma mater, the University of Miami, where he's reportedly been linked to their defensive coordinator job. So they don't want to lose him. The players certainly don't want to lose him. So I think that he's the front runner. The other one that I would say is your secondary front runner that they have requested an interview for, according to Jeremy Fowler of ESPN, is longtime assistant Ed Donatel, who has 31 years of experience as an assistant coach in the NFL. And oh, by the way, his first non-graduate school coaching job at the college level was at the University of Pacific in 1983. And you want to know who their defensive coordinator was that year? Some guy named Peter Clay Carroll was their defensive coordinator. And that was right before he went to the Buffalo Bills and jumped to the NFL. And then in the 90s, from 1990 to 1994, they were together on the New York Jets staff, including the one year that Pete Carroll was head coach. He had Ed Donnell on his staff as the defensive backs coach still. He was there for five years. They haven't been in the same staff since then, but their paths have crossed Donatel was with the 49ers on Jim Harbaugh's staff when the 49ers-Seahawks rivalry was at its peak from 2011 to 2014. And so they have crossed paths during that time. He's most recently been defensive coordinator under Vic Fangio in Denver. He was not calling the plays. Vic Fangio was, but he was still involved in that process. And they were in the top 10 in defense two of his three years there, including having the third-ranked scoring defense in 2021 didn't make the playoffs because their offense so Vic Fangio got fired but Donatel is available he's expected to interview for this job he's known Pete Carroll for almost four decades they have a very good relationship he's been in a bunch of different coaching systems now so I think that that's a well-rounded hire if they choose to go that route now there are two other guys out there that could be available one of them I've already mentioned his name Gus Bradley The Raiders, we don't know what they are going to do. They just fired their GM, Mike Mayock, even though they made the playoffs and they took the Bengals down to the brink in their postseason game. They fired Mayock. They have an interim head coach that most likely is not going to be kept. Jim Harbaugh has been linked to them. There's been a few other coaches that have been linked to them. So Gus Bradley right now is under contract with the Raiders, but he might be looking at other coaching opportunities He's had a chance to enhance his coaching ability with a number of different teams. He was the Chargers for a while, the Raiders. Maybe he's a more well-rounded coach now than he was the first time he was in Seattle. You certainly could do worse than bringing him back to team back up with Pete Carroll. And you mentioned Marquand Manuel. He's the safety coach now for the Jets, and he's working under Robert Sala, who has kind of delved into more quarters defense over the last couple of years. So he's gotten a little different education in terms of defense than what he did when he was on Seattle staff and in Atlanta as a defensive coordinator under Dan Quinn. So maybe he's a contender to come back and have a chance to be the defensive coordinator for the Seahawks as well. But all of these guys have very close ties to Pete Carroll and a number of them had a chance to work with other coaches, which I think only enhances their candidacy for this position. Yeah, I would agree with you, Corbin. I mean, we just listed four men there, and I think all four of these men are, are are very good candidates to become Seattle's defensive coordinator. However, I would also say that I think that we rank them correctly in, in talking about Clint Hurt, number one, Ed Donatel, number two, Gus Bradley, number three, Mark Emanuel, number four. I think if there is a, a, a coach that comes in to become Seattle's defensive coordinator who was not a former head coach, previously aligned with the Seahawks. So a Mike Zimmer out there, a Brian Flores out there, uh, you know, somebody like that, 
then, then I think that the, these, these are the candidates that we should be focusing on. And we'll, we'll talk about those other defensive, uh, you know, defensive minded former head coaches, Vic Fangio, for example, as you mentioned before. I think that those are all candidates as well. But at the same time, th- this is Pete Carroll we're talking about. This, this is a older head coach, the oldest head coach in the NFL. So to think that he's going to go with some young buck, I think is not likely to be the case. So we, I just talked about Clint Hurt. Well, let's talk about Ed Dontel for a moment here. I think Ed Dontel, I don't have to think about it. He is one of the better defensive coaches in all of the NFL. If Seattle was able to bring Ed Dontel in, that is something they absolutely have to consider. You look at the Denver Broncos. They invested their first-round pick this past season in a rookie quarterback, Patrick Sertan, who really good football player. I mean, went to Alabama, expected to become a superstar, as his dad was as an all-pro cornerback for years in the NFL, became that. But at the same time, you're starting a rookie at cornerback in the same division that has Derek Carr, not a bad quarterback, Patrick Mahomes, an oh-my-goodness quarterback, and Justin Herbert, oh-my-goodness kind of quarterback. And still, Denver was as successful as they was. Oh, by the way, who also has a little bit of a connection with a pending free agent like Avon Miller, who Seattle might be trying to use some of those you know, relationships to perhaps yeah. encourage somebody to come in. So to me, I, I, with all due respect to former Seattle guy, Gus Bradley, who I thought did a pretty solid job with the Raiders, as you mentioned, Marco Emanuel with the Jets. I like his, his, uh, his experience as well. But at the same time, to me, of this current four-man list, Clint Hurt, Ed Dontel, Gus Bradley, Marco Emanuel, I am very much focusing in those top two Clint Hurt, and again, Ed Tonatel, who I think would provide a little bit different perspective, might be able to actually uh, excite the fan base if they were, in fact, looking for somebody who's not currently wearing Seattle green and blue. I saw Jake Heaps from ESPN 710, former Seahawks quarterback. He posted a really interesting idea about Hurt and Donatel on social media today, too. The idea that, you know, could you keep Clint Hurt around if you offer him a co-defensive coordinator title. This is the co-episode, apparently. Co-special teams award, now co-defensive coordinator. But his run game background, coupling him with Donatel, who has been a defensive backs coach for a long time in the NFL, and that is his specialty, the passing game. You have those two working in tandem with Pete Carroll because, again, Pete Carroll's a defensive coach, so that's something that's got to be kept in mind here, that's why some of your more experienced candidates from outside might not be as interested in this position. But Donatel knows him well. He knows Hurt well. Those two coached together in Chicago under Vic Fangio on that defense. So you're talking about a dynamic there that could really work if all parties are interested. Clint Hurt might want to be the guy. Donatel might want to be the guy. If that's the case, then that's not going to work. But at least that's an idea worth considering if you're the Seahawks. And I think it would be fascinating if they decided to go that route, especially with a defensive-minded coach like Pete Carroll that you know is going to want to have his input. It might be too many mouths to feed, or it might work perfectly. Who knows? But that's something to at least consider. As always, thanks for making Locked on Seahawks your first listen five days a week. Now make your second listen Locked on Bets, your daily one-stop shop for all your gambling needs. Locked on Bets is hosted by your boy Q, with expert analysis and insight from Lee Sterling. You can follow me on Twitter at Corbin Smith NFL. You can follow Rob at Rob Rang. You can check out Locked On Seahawks on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and Spotify, where all podcasts are found, all major platforms. 
It's free five days a week. Coming up on our Wednesday episode, again, we're off-season mode, no matchup Wednesday, but we're going to keep looking at some potential replacement options for Ken Norton Jr., looking at the experienced head coach division. There are a number of former head coaches out there with defensive backgrounds who might be available and interested in a defensive coordinator position. Rob and I will be taking a close look. You won't want to miss it. Enjoy the rest of your Tuesday. Thanks for listening. Go Hawks.